Doctor's Kitchen. Recipes, health, lifestyle. You know, and that's happened with some herbs in the past. You know, they've become endangered or, you know, like, like golden seal, which is an amazing herb. You know, it's like a natural antibiotic, which is really very effective for infections. You know, I've used it a lot in sort of um, ear infections, chest infections, sore throats, and it's very effective, but it's almost endangered in the, in the in nearly gone in the wild from over harvesting and so I don't I, and I don't want that to happen you know you don't want to think oh gosh you know we're we're getting so we're so all loving these herbs so much that you know that they're actually going to disappear from the wild and that, that, that it's not being harvested sustainably welcome to the doctor's kitchen podcast show about food, lifestyle, medicine and how to improve your health today. I'm Dr. Rupi, your host. I'm a medical doctor. I study nutrition and I'm a firm believer in the power of food and lifestyle as medicine. Join me and my expert guests where we discuss the multiple determinants of what allows you to lead your best Today on the podcast, I have Dr. Sally Moorcroft, and we're talking about herbal medicine, also called phytotherapy, which refers to using a plant's seeds, berries, roots, leaves, barks, or flowers for medicinal purposes. Dr. Sally embarked on a medical career almost 20 years ago now, but her experience in hospital medicine, coupled with her travels to France and Australia, introduced her to herbal medicine and led to her complementary therapy practice, which she's been in for almost two decades. Today, we talk about a range of things on a subject I'm not terribly familiar with. The history of herbal medicine, the overlap between Native American Ayurvedic traditional Chinese medicine practices and many others, how we extract the products from the plants themselves, what adaptogens are. I'm sure everyone will agree you're seeing it everywhere from coffee to bars to chocolates it just seems to be in everything anti-inflammatory herbs and actually what that means i also asked about resources for people interested in medical herbalism like myself and we're going to link to those in the show notes on the doctorskitchen.com and we also do something really interesting we workshop some cases like patients with gastritis or gastroesophageal uh, esophageal reflux disease uh, or high cholesterol patients that i'm very familiar seeing in in clinic and we have limitations about how much we can do with our drugs. And I wondered if there is an extra area around medical herbalism that would be beneficial for other GPs to explore, you know, with with interactions and conditions in mind as well, which we actually also talk about today, about the things that you need to be thinking about uh, with regards to potential drug interactions. If you're new to things like slippery elm, marshmallow root, devil's claw, rhodiola, boswellia, like me, I think you're going to find this episode super useful and I'm definitely going to dive into the resources myself that Dr. Sally recommended. As a reminder, Dr. Sally Moorcroft is an award-winning integrative and functional medicine doctor. She's got a long interest and passion in food as medicine and leads a team of doctors, nutritionists, and practitioners at her practice. She's also got a BSc in herbal medicine and is currently completing in, uh, uh, IFM certification and training in medical acupuncture as well. Uh, she's got 
most of her specialist interests are in uh, women's health, particularly menopause, perimenopause. We talked about that on the podcast before, and I'm sure we're going to be talking to Dr. Sally again at some point in the future about phytochemicals and more generally. She's also the founder of Dr. Sally's Botanicals, a range of organic herbal teas and tonics based on formulations used in her clinic that I've personally tried, and I think they are absolutely fabulous. Make sure you check out the podcast on YouTube. You can watch this on YouTube as well due to popular demand we've started putting all the current podcasts and the library of podcasts on youtube so make sure you subscribe there and download the doctor's kitchen app whilst you're in the mood for downloading and subscribing to things you can find it on the app store every week i also send a newsletter the eat listen read newsletter you get for free it's got recipes in and it's got mindfully curated content to help you have a healthier, happier week. Before we get started, here is a quick word from the people who make this podcast possible. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Well, um, first off, uh, I, I should say um, uh, thanks so much for giving me some of your uh, teas. Uh, I really, really enjoyed drinking those over the last couple of months because uh, we, we met at the um, Integrative and Personalised Medicine Conference earlier this year. Oh, I'm pleased you like them. Yeah. Which is your favourite then? Yeah, I had the happy gut. And I think uh, you also gave me a valerian-based one. Is yeah, that, am I getting that right? One. Actually, it's Tulsi. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Tulsi. Oh, oh Tulsi. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. Uh, lemon balm in that one. So... Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. No, it was it was wonderful. Uh and I I made them into sort of like because obviously it was during the summer, I kind of brewed it and let them cool and then I added a tiny bit of sweetener and I'd put them into um uh glass bottles and I'd have them during the day over ice and stuff. So it was actually really yeah, it was they were they were great. I loved them. Yeah. I'm kind of my favorite's the happy gut. Like I kind of go between the different ones, but that's my favorite at the moment. So, yeah, and, and I like the fact that you can get a few bags from them. So I'm usually getting like three cups from each of the little pyramids. So that I was really happy about that when we kind of formulated them. Yeah, because you don't know, you know, obviously you make the formulas, you know, they, they obviously we had to source the herbs and then 
they were made up by the you know there's a company that makes them into the the little pyramids and you know you don't quite know how it's going to turn out you know you can sample them beforehand and they're and they're blends that I've used for a long time but it's different when it's in the pyramid you know you kind of get a different flavor and the herbs are you know the the size of how they much they've been chopped down and that all affects the flavor and everything so I wasn't quite sure how they're going to turn out but yeah I was really happy we've been yeah I was really happy how they turned out so it's really it's been exciting whole journey really yeah well, you should be because they're, they're delicious <laughs> well no, and I wanted to start um really just talking to you about how how you got into medical herbalism because you you know you trained as a doctor um you, you spent a few years doing hospital medicine but you from from what I gather from from your CV you, you very quickly sort of pivoted into uh, medical herbalism. And I, I wonder why, maybe you could take us back as to, you know, what, what happened perhaps early in your life? Yeah, so I do think about it because lots of people ask me. So I have thought about it over the years, you know, what kind of influenced me. And I think probably the seeds were set from an early age, although I didn't realise because I grew up on a farm and we grew a lot of like the food was from the farm. So we've always kind of the family, we grew our own vegetables. We were really into um, like organic vegetables and growing everything in the garden. So I was really always interested in nutrition. And then I had an allotment when I was a medical student. So, you know, I kind of that food was the first way in really was the nutrition. Um, and but before I went to medical school, I spent a year living as a nanny. And I just by chance, I, an, I answered an ad in um, the lady magazine, actually, you know, I was just looking for, for my gap year to do something interesting. So I answered an ad and I ended up in um, Drome Provence, which is sort of in the mountains, the south of France. And just that area is um, it's very lots of biodynamic organic um farms is a there's a really big kind of um her, you know a cultural just use of herbs in the south of France as like tisanes and it's kind of embedded in the culture there so I didn't really know anything about it I, I just went I I was living with the family as a nanny and it was just going to the market every week. So, you know, you'll see like the big bags of the linden flowers and everybody's drinking like lime flower tea in the evening. And um, it's just so much part of the culture there. And then obviously I started going to, you know, the pharmacies in France where you'll kind of get half of the pharmacy is like the homeopathic medicines or the herbal medicines. And the pharmacists are trained to be able to advise on it and I just kind of it was total eye-opener I hadn't really seen that I hadn't really had any contact with it before but it just kind of opened my eyes a bit thinking okay this is interesting it's a different way of doing things and um and then actually the family that I ended up living with um used anthroposophical medicine which is a kind of a combination of herbs and homeopathy it's based on Rudolf Steiner's work and they that's just what the family happened to use and obviously me living there and having sort of minor ailments meant that they treated like the father treated me with different things out of their sort of family cabinet um and I just was like oh my god these actually work <laughs> I didn't really you know I had really no <laughs> idea of what they were and the first thing that ever I used was I remember to this day still that there was like a fold-up sofa and 
I was pulling it out and I got my fingers trapped in the sofa and it was this huge indentation in my finger where the bed had actually collapsed on my hand and and he just gave me some arnica cream to put on it. So I put this arnica cream and I went to bed and then the next morning it's just completely on. There's nothing. And I, and, and I thought there's no bruising. There's absolutely nothing. But my hands have been completely crushed in this bed. Um, and that was the first thing I thought, my God, this is like magic cream. What is this stuff? So I, I got interested from there. And then, you know, the harvest, we lived in the valley with the lavender flowers were harvested. And then in the village was where they distilled the essential oils for the lavender. So you know, that was also part of the local culture was the growing the lavender, the lavender oil. Um, so it, it was really just being embedded in that culture for a year, I think. And then after I left, as I was going through medical school, different summers, I traveled a lot in India. I went to India four times. And so I kind of got interested in Ayurvedic medicine. Then after that really was going to India and homeopathy, which is kind of quite popular in India as well. So I got a little bit of introduction to that and I saw just as my I was getting more interested and I was up in the mountains I went to see like a Tibetan doctor just to see you know what it was all about it was the doctor actually that the Dalai Lama um used up in um Dharamsala so I just thought I'm gonna go see him for consultation and it was just a really interesting experience so I I did that I started getting interested in yoga I did some yoga up there as well and um and then the and then when I did my elective for my uh, in my fourth year, you know, medical school, um I ended up in Australia and I was went to sort of in the outback in Tennant Creek and I and I actually was at the hospital in uh, originally, but then quickly moved and ended up in the Aboriginal Health Centre, which was really interesting because they had they had a lot of different projects going on there, but you could go out into the reservations and talk to some of the elder Aboriginal like community leaders. So I learned a little bit about the bush medicine and the sort of Aboriginal culture. And also they had um, a big sort of drug and alcohol rehabilitation centre where they were using art therapy. So I kind of spent a little bit of time in that. So I just kind of got interested in all sorts of different approaches. And then I had some health problems uh I think they were probably stress induced and also induced after the going to India and getting amoebic dysentery and you know like the a bit of food oh, wow. poisoning yeah. so um so I ended up actually um sort of using some herbal medicine and acupuncture on myself and I think it just all kind of came together and then as I went through hospital medicine and working in the hospital for a few years i I just started to feel like I want more time. The time was the big thing for me. I just want a bit more time with people. And I want to feel like I'm not just using a sticking pasta that I can help to get to the root of problems. And I was obviously with the food thing, you know, and I know this amazing campaign you're doing with the food hospital. But, you know, like 20 years ago, I was trying to say, you know, I remember one, you know, elderly lady who was recovering. She'd had a gynae operation ended up in our urology department very ill um and she was just not eating anything and, and I could just see she's literally wasting away like she's having no protein how can she be expected to heal from two major surgeries she's not eating any protein you know she, it was just simple things and I just kept sort of saying things and I felt a bit like 
I, you know, nobody's listening. It, it's very difficult to create change. You know, I, there were things that I wanted to try and uh, introduce. You know, I was talking about gut microbiome and maybe, you know, for Clostridium difficile. This was like 20 years ago and people were just like, you know, what are you talking about? You know, you're just completely loony. <laughs> so I, I just kind of very, after a few years, I just felt like, you know, I'm really not in the right place here. You know, it's going to be so difficult to to change anything and 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 I don't feel like I'm really making the change that I want to 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 do and I'm I'm not, I haven't got time with people to try and address the root cause of things and to do a more preventative approach which is kind of what I was really getting interested in and um so I just saw it was by chance I just found a someone gave me a leaflet I think for the herbal medicine degree and I thought you know this is quite interesting I was kind of skeptical to be fair at the beginning because I but I just thought you know with an interest in plants and looking for a more holistic approach I thought okay this could be you know and, and obviously the experience and had had in France I thought okay you know this could be interesting maybe for minor ailments you know there's maybe something in this and and I was also kind of thinking about okay we're going to have this you know obviously this big problem with antibiotic resistant you know maybe I was starting to look at herbs as alternatives for like minor infections and thinking okay maybe this could be an area for research you know you could be looking at okay can we use some of these antiseptic properties in the plants to help reduce antibiotic resistance and things like that you know then maybe it needs I'm interested to look at the research and to kind of look into it more so I started the degree not really knowing where it would go but hoping that I would actually eventually be able to bring it into like an NHS practice and actually amalgamate it somehow um and then I got completely inspired when I did my summer placement so you have to do like each uh year you do so many clinical hours I, you have to do 500 clinical hours over the four-year degree so um you uh, a lot of mine was spent in summer placements in there's a there used to be actually it's gone now but it was a um clinic of herbal medicine in the archway hospital in north london and it was it was actually on the hospital um premises and there was a really close connection with one of the medical herbalists working there and the gynae department and she, she worked very closely with quite a few of the consultant gynecologists and we would get a lot of patients who were um waiting for hysterectomies or patients that didn't want to have a hysterectomy so we'd get quite a lot of endometriosis patients also polycystic ovaries and quite a lot of menopause patients as well that didn't want to take HRT so that was kind of one of the specialties of the clinic and and I I spent um quite a lot of summer um placements there and and actually that's what totally swayed me like this is amazing like actually the results we're getting you know there's so many women that are not getting and not having to go for a hysterectomy actually we're just completely turning things around and that's when I kind of thought okay this is not just about you know helping a sore throat you know there's actually a lot more in this and you can do a lot if you really have the time with people and you tailor it and you know it's a it's a complicated it's obviously much more complicated than just giving someone some sage for a sore throat but you know the potential of what you could do with it um so I, I think that that's kind of what turned the corner for me and then when I finished the degree I I was I had two small children by this point as well because I'd had two babies I had one in my first year of the herbal medicine degree and one in my third year so I was kind of thinking how am I going to make all of this 
work and I thought I'll just set up a practice and see how it goes so I set up a just a small private clinic and it was just immediately like completely full (laughs) so I sort of did it, it just filled within within three weeks I had like you know the phone was just ringing all the time and um I couldn't actually manage the in the capacity was a bit overwhelming actually I was ex- wasn't really expecting it but over the years I just you know I've seen thousands of patients now but it, it it's evolved and um I I slowly I started very general so I was doing a lot just kind of seeing all sorts of I had lots of kind of elderly patients with arthritis or children with eczema or sort of recurrent um chest infections ear infections um that sort of then quite a lot of digestive you know IBS type problems um so it was very general to start with and then slowly over the years I got more and more women's health type issues it slowly became a lot of menopause patients that just kind of happened I didn't really go out looking for it but it just sort of gravitated towards more women's health and then I kind of thought okay if these are the patients that I'm going to be seeing I need to kind of specialize my training and there were gaps I felt like there was gaps in my knowledge and so slowly I keep doing more and more you know as, as time goes on I I did um, the medical acupuncture training, I think, initially. That was nice. I was using quite a lot of medical acupuncture for a while, again, especially with the arthritis patients. So I'd often be doing some nutrition, some herbal medicine, and then acupuncture. So I did that for quite a few years. And then I – and then actually my uh, – so I was doing my appraisals through the Independent Doctors' Federation, which are sort of – for. Uh, doctors working outside the NHS really and my appraiser was this amazing guy who he'd done all sorts of things but he was a GP Sussex and he'd done the homeopathy training so his background was actually he was an army doctor and then he'd done homeopathy which is a really interesting mix you know I wouldn't yeah. have ever put the two together but he kept telling me like you need to do homeopathy you're really missing out you know <laughs> you're missing this massive tool and the, the, the whole three years I had him as my appraiser he's like you know you need to go do the homeopathy training you know it, it, he's like herbs are good but homeopathy is the king you need to go and do that training <laughs> so so eventually I, I did he recommended me to go to Bristol so that's you know I went to um what's the National Centre of Integrative Medicine now and I did the five yeah, years NCI, homeopathy yeah. Yeah. with them which was good. It's like another tool that I do use in my practice. And then I did bioidentical hormone therapy training, really for the menopause patients that I felt like needed that extra support. And then I started the functional medicine training, which has been like the, I knew that there were gaps in the nutrition really that I needed to kind of get more knowledge, particularly with all the gut microbiome stuff that I was really interested in. And, you know, that it's a good kind of way of getting more into the biochemistry and the um you know the kind of gut microbiome stuff in more detail so I'm doing the you know the certification with the IFM nearly finished but so that sort of pulls it together as well but yeah so and and then uh, it's kind of developed really (laughs) yeah it's yeah that's one way of putting it uh it's definitely developed over the last uh 18 plus years your your experience and stuff I just want to go back a bit because um clearly you know you've got a lot of experience on these different areas but going back to France where I guess uh all of this sort of started um 
I wasn't aware that there was uh, as much of a culture around sort of um, herbalism and nutritional medicine uh, as, you know, almost on par with um, the sort of culture within uh, traditional Indian medicine, traditional Chinese medicine. It was actually a follower of mine. I think she was an email subscriber. She reached out and said, you know, in, in South of France, we have all these uh, sort of herbs and stuff and we have this sort of practice. And and I, I, I was kind of blown away uh, at like how involved it is and also how pharmacists sort of sit alongside that conventional medicine very, very nicely, as they do in Germany. I think I, I read something about Germany having a similar sort of approach to traditional medicines. I wonder if you could speak a bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And Germany was another inspiration for me, that model, because I, and actually at medical school, I had a friend who was um, German. She did a, like an intercalated year with us. And it was really interesting learning about their training because in Germany, you know, actually part of the training, you do herbal medicine module and you do a homeopathy module. And that's just part of the undergraduate training. Um, and I, and I, and I was just like, Oh my goodness. And I think with pharmacists as well. And in fact, actually with, um, I know it's the same in Poland because one of the staff we have now working in the center is she's um, a nutritionist, but she's a pharmacist as well. And she's Polish. And she said that, she's got a really extensive herbal medicine knowledge from her pharmacy training in Poland. So again, it's just Poland is also another massive cultural tradition there. You know, and I'll often have Polish, I've had a lot of Polish um, patients over the years because, you know, that's just the tradition that they, that they use it. It, it again, just part of the everyday medicine that they're very used to using. But I mean, absolutely in France, I mean, I know that, you know, you, you just go into the pharmacy, you can get calendula tincture really easily, you know, if you've got a wound or, you know, you need to, it's just, or calendula cream, if you've got some skin rash, it's just there and the pharmacist will just give it, you know, that they'll just say, oh, yes, here, you know, it's just part of that completely part. And I would say, you know, half, almost half and half, you know, you've got half your sort of conventional drug medications, half is herbs and homeopathy and it's just assumed that you know for certain things we'll go to that side and for certain things we'll go for that side and they're very comfortable and knowledgeable with the whole spectrum really we're, we're gonna have to talk about some of those names because that kind of just rolled off the tongue for you but for me uh <laughs> it went way over my head but but um and and also i just wanted to touch on your experience in australia because i, I mean i i used to practice in australia i was out there for a couple of years um and uh, I remember going to some of the markets and uh, meeting uh, someone who who's from an Aboriginal background. And she was telling me about all these different bush herbs uh, from a culinary perspective. And I was trying them and I, and I bought a whole bunch of different herbs to experiment. And they were like nothing I've ever tried before. It was like this really uh, sort of wonderful collection of different astringent based herbs, bitter herbs, um, like flavors that I've never sort of experienced before. And I, 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 whenever I think of Australian food and whenever people, I think, uh, think of Australian food, they think of avocado and toast, you know, that sort of brunch sort of food, but there's just such rich, um, herbs and, and such rich plants and a diversity of different ingredients that are inherent in, in the Australian mainland that we just don't really make that much use of. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I just wonder if there is going to be sort of a resurgence of all these like traditional herbs used in the culinary sense that also have medicinal purposes as well. Yeah, I mean, you can see it with 
with a lot of the Ayurvedic herbs, can't you? I mean, they've become so popular, you know, mm. turmeric and all the, you know, that's obviously exactly, the biggest yeah. one, isn't it? But, you know, you can kind of see that that will happen. Like you kind of see over the years, okay, that's the new one that everybody's kind of talking about. But, you know, as time goes by, I'm sure that that will happen, you know, because there's so many. And also you see with like fermented food, don't you, as well, you know, the fact that that's so um, much part of some traditional systems and cultures and that now we're sort of like, oh, fermented food you know great it does all these amazing beneficial things like maybe we should be eating it you know but it, it, it's you know no, maybe not part of our tradition here until quite recently is it so yeah absolutely what well, we, we we've been chatting for about 20 minutes and we haven't really dif- dis- discussed exactly what we mean by herbal medicine and what it actually involves so perhaps we should start there and then we could sort of wander down um a bit of the history around uh medical herbalism actually what it means to be a medical herbalist and and then dive into some of uh the herbs that i have no exp- no real experience of prescribing or or using and and that's why I'm, I'm i'm fascinated to do a bit of a deep dive in into some of them with you today so i mean the term is not protected so you know in terms of there there's no protection or um regulation surrounding the use of the word of the term you know the title so um so i would say i mean that's a key thing is 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 knowing you know if people are looking for a herbalist to look for somebody who's gone through the 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 sort of um is registered with a regulatory body you know with the i mean that we can talk about that later but you know there are some bodies where people have to have a certain um, knowledge and, um, you know, really have, have a degree in herbal medicine. So so in terms of the title, it, it isn't protected. So, um, and obviously there's loads of different traditions of herbal medicine, but um, it, it's basically the key thing is you're using the whole plant extracts. So, and that can be different parts of the plant. So it's very often aerial parts, but it could be the roots, the bark, the seeds, the fruit, um rhizomes you know all parts of the plant but the main thing is that you're using the plant in its kind of whole sense rather than extracting an isolated constituent because obviously lots of drugs are come from plants you know so but what you're doing with a with a drug is you're taking one isolated constituent often an alkaloid which is some of the strongest ones and you're then synthetically manufacturing it. So, you know, that that's kind of the difference. And it's very targeted. So normally, if you're taking one constituent out of the plant, um, it will have a targeted effect on particular receptors. And so it's very targeted in the body. Whereas when you're looking at using the whole plant as a medicine, you're obviously getting hundreds of constituents in there. Um, and so it has a lot of kind of multiple effects in the body. Um, and often... The theory is, and I think it is true from my practice, is that it's it's generally very well tolerated herbal medicine, and 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 there are a few side effects that you know there's sometimes there are some sometimes particularly digestive symptoms. So some people might just get a bit of diarrhea or unsettled stomach, you know. But um, it, so it's not completely without any um, side effects, but generally mild and generally very well tolerated, and that's thought to be because within the whole plant you often get kind of buffering constituents things which can counteract these more these stronger particularly the alkaloids you for example a really good example I often give is like with ephedra which is um 
is a Chinese herb. So you have in that, um, you can extract like um, epinephrine. So that's obviously got quite a stimulating, can increase blood pressure. But then actually within the plant, you have um, other constituents which actually lower blood pressure. So when you take the whole plant together, it, you get a more um, balanced effect in the body. And that's often what you'll see. You'll kind of, you start extracting constituents and some things will do one thing and then you'll find another constituent which almost does the opposite or or actually you know sometimes it works synergistically as well sometimes you'll get like saponins in a plant which can help the some of the other active constituents to be absorbed across the phospholipid membrane into the cell so sometimes the constituents act synergistically and sometimes they act to buffer the more active stronger parts so they're kind of like a safety yeah so that's the main difference between the two just to be clear so when we're talking about medical herbalism we're really talking about the utility of these um plants uh in in sort of a in a prescriptive manner uh rather than culinary or is there sort of like a spectrum where there's a there's quite a bit of overlap in, in, in the middle of it and the other thing i just wanted to clarify is when you said rhizome is that to mean like the root like the, the like uh, like ginger or turmeric for example yeah i think it's a spectrum because you know like obviously some herbs sit in the middle don't they they can be culinary they can be medicinal it's sometimes to do with dosing you know but i mean i think it's a very kind of it is definitely a spectrum if you think of garlic i mean you know garlic and ginger are good examples you know we use them in cooking all the time but they can be have medicinal effects and the same with lots of the spices you know lots of the spices and turmeric's obviously another good example you know which is something used in cooking but it has a medicinal effect it's usually to do with the dosing so you know the higher the dose and the more consistently that you take it so often with herbs they need to be taken consistently to kind of to build up to having a medicinal effect in the body so say for like um i don't know chamomile tea you could have chamomile tea one cup of tea okay it's going to have a very minor effect you know um if you have maybe three or four cups of chamomile tea which are a strong infusion and you do that every day regularly that's going to have a more medicinal effect so you know that that it's to do with dosing and the regularity that you use it and then the spectrum is you know you'll you'll find that some um, herbs sit in that sort of food end and then they obviously get stronger and stronger in terms of their active constituents till you go up to kind of poisonous plants really so you know and some plants are um, obviously toxic and poisonous and have very strong constituents in um and then you can also have um some herbs which are just um very nutritious so they're almost medicinal by being very nutritious like maybe nettles which i think okay nettles are they're used in medical herbalism for their nutrition so they would be used if you think someone say very depleted or anemic or you know you're going to use them to help to improve the nutritional status and you know you could use it as a source of iron so you might actually think okay well nettles they're sort of a food but they're nutritious like they would actually fit into um medical uh, medical herb as well but it, it's a hugely gray area you know like because obviously some herbs are food and how often do you take them and you know it, it's 
it's a grey area but for that one for sure. I like the uh, the example you used of ephedra actually because I think that's quite telling about medical herbalism in, in, in a lot of ways. You know, in sort of conventional f- pharmaceutical um uh, conventional pharmaceuticals or, or at least for you know the way i think about uh, pharmacology you have a constituent that's come from a plant uh, among which many other uh, drugs are, have actually been derived from um in a high enough dose to have a fantastic effect i mean you know we use this in anaphylaxis and in icu and, and all these different areas whereas in the whole plant that it's been derived from you have all these different constituents of it that actually mellow that effect so it makes it less effective in that particular setting but it might be more widely uh, um, uh, tolerated in, in a milder form in, in different sort of um, disease or condition states is that is that a fair assessment would you say or yeah definitely and i would say generally herbs take longer to take effect for that reason like not always you can use herbs in acute settings and you know if you use kind of mega doses in you know you can use them in first aid for example but generally as a whole they're better suited for chronic conditions where you you know you expect that they're going to take a little bit longer to have an effect so you know um so for that reason I think that you know that that's how you would kind of expect to see like a if I was using herbs, I'd probably, you know, I'd expect to see a change within three or four weeks. So, you know, using consistently. So you're kind of, you're kind of aware, you know, when you're using them, they're going to take a bit longer as well. But they, that that's the yeah. thing that, you know, they're, but they'll often, the good thing, which I enjoy using them, is that you'll often see that they take longer, but they're often providing this kind of, I always see them as being quite nutritious. A lot of herbs are, nutritious as well and supportive to the body so you know for example adaptogens which are herbs that can help support the body when it's under stress so they often help to bring about homeostasis in the body and they help to counteract the effects of cortisol and and stress hormones and so actually you use them for you know you use them to just slowly improve resilience in the in the body so they're quite nutritive so often I see plants as being quite nutritive when you're using them. You're using to support different organs or systems in the body in quite a nutritive way. I want to talk about um, adaptogens in a second, actually. But I, I just wanted to remark on a couple of things that I've noticed uh, uh, over just looking at a variety of different sort of traditional cultures that have used uh, herbs, spices and, and different um, herbs in a medical sense. There seems to be quite a lot of overlap. Is that something that you've come across as well within the traditional Chinese medicine, even sort of native uh, American uh, medicine and Ayurveda? Is there is there is there an overlap? Would you say or? Yeah, massively. Yeah, and the history is really interesting, actually. So if you look at the history, um, you'll see like there's there's definitely different traditions, and you know you asked me about the history, and we we kind of skipped over that, didn't we? But you know if you think of actually. Um, a lot of the earliest records of using herbs go back maybe 3,000 years. And you'll see even sometimes those plants actually that were mentioned way, way thousands of years ago, they're still being used now. You know, there's such a long traditional use of them. But you can look at different um, 
medical systems as well. And there's very often a root of um, the way that the imbalances in the body are described. So you'll often see patterns. It's a very much kind of a medicine based on looking at patterns within the body. So particularly like with Ayurveda, obviously you have these doshas, don't you, with the pitta, kapha, vata, and then uh, which kind of represent heat and fluid and air or wind in the body. And then in Chinese medicine, you'll have a similar, you know, there's a similar principle, you know, where you have, um, so there's often these um, almost kind of root imbalances that you see within many of the traditional systems. Um, and um, and in our kind of traditional Western herbal medicine, which was the humoral system, you see it there as well, like the different humors of the body. There's very often this looking at a balance of, damp and dryness or heat and cold and then you're very often looking at kind of stagnation in the body or constriction of tissues there's there's often looking at tissue states or you're looking at the um, particularly heat and cold is a huge thing you know when you're looking at traditional medical systems you're looking at is that particularly in Chinese medicine you'd say you know there's stagnation and heat sort of damp heat is often considered to be if you imagine arthritis where there's a lot of swelling and heat in a joint you would say that's damp heat um with stagnation you know so you're kind of describing what you're seeing I see it's just very descriptive you know people didn't understand the body but they could kind of describe what they were seeing and they would describe these imbalances and obviously start to put patterns together um so you see that very much and then you see herbs being used to counteract those imbalances so you might see okay if you've got a um damp heat condition you're going to use a cooling dry herb to counteract that you know it, it it's very much um, the way that you know, we would say oh, it's an anti-inflammatory. OK, the, the traditional system will say it's cooling and drying that, or it's moving stagnation. You know, that, that's kind of how they're describing it. And it, it's, it's interesting because it, it, it's, it's almost like it overlaps on to um, sort of the psychological uh, symptoms and signs as well of the individual. So, you know, it, like, I can only speak to Ayurveda, but if someone is described as um too hot you know it could also be pointing to things like stresses in their life or uh, how they're not sort of uh, uh, moving on from certain things in their past or there's like some sort of emotional trauma in there that needs to be worked through as well as the physical side and i think sometimes the limitations of how uh, it, you know people outside of medical herbalism see it, it was like oh well they're just sort of treating it with a pill but it, you know especially in your practice you, you think of the individual more holistically where you look at their emotional support their psychotherapy uh, and all the other sort of uh, context of what makes a healthy uh, healthy uh, mind and body yeah and definitely and you know like the, in a lot of the traditional systems you'll see this connection say between a heat and the liver and anger, for example, in China, you know, in Chinese medicine, they'll say, okay, if you're angry or you're having mood swings, that's a liver stagnation, or that's maybe liver heat, or um, you know, so you'll see the language of it. It's very holistic in the way you describe, you know, and, you, and uh, absolutely, you know, you'll kind of say, oh, melancholy and depression, maybe that's a kind of cold, stagnant condition you want to kind of warm use warming stimulating herbs you know that that's very much in the traditional systems you'll see this the way that the the emotional symptoms are very closely related to the physical ones you know they're kind of part of the whole spectrum of 
the imbalance that you're looking for. So, and the herbs are used, you know, in that way. So, and there's two kind of, you know, there's often most medical herbalists are using some of that traditional system plus the more science that we understand about the active constituents and maybe what and what's kind of called phytotherapy, which is a little bit more say when you're using something as an anti-inflammatory or antispasmodic or you know maybe a bit using them in that sort of way but I think having the knowledge and pulling it together it's particularly helpful where patients have um, multiple symptoms you know where you're kind of can take a step that's what I've enjoyed using and that's what I love about using an integrated system is you know you you it's very easy to just step back and go okay that's connected to that and that's connected to that and you know I pull it all together and I can see that there's these maybe three different root problems you know and we're going to slowly target each one and then you just see the symptoms you know this whole picture just starting to change and a lot of those you know what were seemingly individual you know unconnected problems just actually they're often the root the roots the same you know yeah 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 no i i find it fascinating and so you you mentioned this this term adaptogenic that uh or, or adaptogens that i hear being banded around everywhere now like it's in everything from hot chocolates to my coffee to my sweets you know i'm not that I eat that many sweets but you know like brownies and all that kind of stuff and i i i don't i don't like know too much about this area i'll be honest so you know i know ashwagandha i know that there's some uh, different types of dried mushrooms that have adaptogenic properties why don't we go why don't we define exactly what an adaptogen is like where this term even came from and um and what what are adapt what are adaptogens why don't you tell us a bit more about them they're definitely the new trends aren't they <laughs> yeah. i think yeah. everyone like oh wow everyone's talking about them I think they're really cool. I mean, I like them because there's not that her, they are a particular um, there's a particular property within herbs that has this action that you don't really get in from anything else. I think that's very unique. That's probably why they've become like super popular. But but the, they were originally so it's 1959. There was um oh sorry 1957. There's a Russian. I think it was, I don't know if he was a doctor or scientist, but he kind of coined the phrase. And I think that they were using, my understanding is that they were using them in sort of for helping astronauts going to space. That's what the first research that was used to help with reducing the effects of stress of going into space travel, which is when they started researching. So he coined the term and, and there's like four different characteristics that a herb has to have to be considered to be adaptogen. So they have to be normalizing in the body, uh, non-toxic, um, nourishing and, um, and non-specific. So they have kind of a broad range of actions. Um, so and, and generally they work by helping to promote homeostasis in the body and modulating the HPA axis. That's how most of them work. So they generally, their effects are to do with um, helping to improve resilience when you're under stress. Um, I mean, the, 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 there's different, there's some trials that have been done in animal studies and like in vitro studies, which show that they have... Um, um, anti-depressive um, effects that they can support the immune system can help with fatigue um, that they can help with brain cognition um, and then there's human trials that show that they can help with 
fatigue against the background of um, sort of mental stress and um, help with resilience. So, um, and obviously there's a huge diverse, there's lots of different types of adaptogens and there's different. Yeah, there's uh, loads. Yeah, there are. And you can kind of <laughs> pick, you know, when I'm using them, I'm kind of thinking, what do I want the emphasis to be on? So some adaptogens are a bit more supportive for the immune system or they can be like modulating to the immune system, which is really helpful, uh, you know, because you you don't really want to overstimulate the immune system, obviously. So you kind of it's much more helpful to modulate it and balance it. So like the medicinal mushrooms are often good for that. Astragalus, that's a lovely adaptogen for the immune system that's modulating. And then you've got the more stimulating adaptogens such as the ginseng. So like Panax ginseng is the most stimulating. You've got Siberian ginseng. Um, and these are... Uh, so these are good when someone's exhausted. So often you would use those when uh, people like burn out sort of situation and rhodiola as well. So they're very nice for modulating the cortisol response. If someone's in that kind of phase two, phase three stress response where cortisol might be kind of high, you know, there might be spikes in cortisol or it's, you know, kind of or it's dropping someone's becoming kind of unresponsive and it's starting to sort of flatline it can be useful in 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 both of those situations you can it can kind of help to modulate cortisol and then you have ashwagandha probably the most popular one which is um also it's lovely because it's relaxing i think the key thing with ashwagandha that makes it so helpful is it's good for that sort of tired but wired phase where you're you know, you've overstimulated because you've been doing too much, probably your cortisol's a bit too high, your sympathetic nervous system's in overdrive, but you're actually exhausted, you know, you can't sleep because you're kind of wired. Um, so it's helpful because it can help to reduce the cortisol and relax and help you to sleep. But it's also, it's very nourishing to the body, you know, when you're depleted and, and it can help them again, it helps to modulate the immune system. It's sometimes using cancer support as well. It can help with the um, helping reduce the effects of chemo and, um, you know, obviously to be used with a lot of care and um, professional guidance for that. But, but, you know, it, it, they do have different, you know, there's, there's, there's kind of different areas that they can be used in. So th- this is what, like, I love and I have an issue with when it comes to these kind of ingredients being put in all these different products, right? Because it seems like there is some evidence that it is relevant for certain condition states. And, you know, a lot of people, particularly in your practice, for whom you've prescribed these two, have benefited from them. But if I go to like, you know, my local sort of herbal pharmacy or whole foods or you know that you'll find them in supermarkets these days as well and and regular pharmacies there isn't that sort of like personalization it's just like adaptogenic and that can be applied to rhodiola astragalus uh, ashwagandha and and i don't know whether like that's going to be good for me or that's not relevant for me and people will just you know just pick one up because someone probably one of their mates down the pub has said oh you need to get yourself some adaptions it's really calming do you know what i mean and and i've i've got like some really good gp friends who have benefited from ashwagandha like you know they absolutely swear by it they take it every single day you know they obviously live very stressful lives and and they've told me to take it i've tried it myself and i, I haven't had any effect but 
I, I don't know anything about the dose. I don't know anything about the, the quality of the product. And I, if I don't know, and I obsess about all these kind of things, I'm pretty sure most people, even those listening to this, don't don't know either. Do, do you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I think it's a huge problem. I, you know, I wish, I think there needs to be a lot more education. You know, I, I hope it will, I mean, I really hope that that will come as get people get more interested. It, it's a minefield. And I mean, obviously, you know, I see people come with huge carrier bags of things they've been and bought and they don't know what they're yeah. doing with them and you know they're like oh should I be taking all these yeah I've got 20 in a bag or something I'm like no <laughs> no you shouldn't you know but uh, um, <laughs> you know that's exactly what happens and and I don't know you know I, I feel like maybe a little bit of knowledge is not a good thing sometimes you know because and, and people do try to kind of you know they kind of try and make these combinations and you know it's difficult we're in a difficult position aren't we because most GPs don't really have the knowledge and you know you can search online you can get huge amounts of information which is not personalized and um you know and 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 so so for someone listening to this who could probably uh who may benefit from taking um uh uh, these kind of uh, products adaptogens or all the others that we'll discuss before we even get to discussing them maybe we should sort of think of a, a a blueprint or a strategy for approaching these additions to one's lifestyle um, before they get sort of sucked into the advertising, like, you know, supplements, oh, this is good for your brain, or this is good for your gut, or this is, do you know what I mean? Maybe, it, like, w- would you always want someone to see a practitioner like yourself or have that sort of, like, you know, um, human touch before they go and invest in different supplements is that is is that the way you, you think people I think should, that is should the, approach yeah this? I mean that's the ideal isn't it because I think even I have to be quite honest even me doing this job for nearly 20 years I can't treat myself you know it's very hard to be objective even when you know you know <laughs> yeah, I know sometimes too. what's wrong wrong with me but still to be objective with myself is very difficult so you know even the knowledge is not it's not all of it it's actually the objective look at you and you know somebody that that's what's so helpful about seeing somebody as well um I mean I think you know a, a, a medical herbalist and a nutritionist is often very knowledgeable as well you know so they maybe they don't have the detailed knowledge of the herbs but very often a lot of nutritionists use adaptogens and are trained in using adaptogens so um you know I, I think that they're, they're the that that's going to help you to get a more personalized, um, more t- tailored approach. And also they will be able to recommend very good quality because the quality is another issue, which is another thing which I have to say I'm very passionate about and talk a lot about with patients is the quality of things you're buying because it's an unregulated market, you know, at the moment, you know, so if you're buying something, it, the quality is a huge issue because you may, you won't get any benefit if it's poor quality and and if it's adulterated or contaminated you know then obviously there's problems with that because it's you know there might be safety issues but um i mean that's another thing to kind of i think that education needs to happen around is the quality of the products and you know and also for me like the ethical harvesting because you know i know with the herbs we're using in our teas for example 
we're, we're looking at fair wild certification and for me that's another thing you know if these things become very popular i don't want to see um the whole of the ecosystem being destroyed and that we end up and we don't have any of these herbs left you know and that's happened with some herbs in the past you know they've become endangered or you know like like golden seal which is amazing herb you know it's like a natural antibiotic which is really very effective for infections you know i've used it a lot in sort of um, ear infections chest infections sore throats and it's very effective but it's almost endangered in the, in the in you know it's it's nearly gone in the wild from over harvesting and um so I don't, I, and I don't want that to happen. You know, you don't want to think, oh gosh, you know, we're we're getting so we're so all loving these herbs so much that you know that they're actually going to disappear from the wild and that, that that it's not being harvested sustainably. So um, I think that's the other thing that I, I hope that there'll be more awareness of that. And but you know, you've got to think about the quality because it's it's obviously with the herbs. You know, there's a lot dependent on how they were grown, how they were harvested, how they were processed, and along that whole process of of the production of it, you know, there needs to be traceability checks. There needs to be, you know, it, it, all the herbs we use in our clinic. You know, there's there's um, there's this batch testing on each one so you know you're you're looking at the levels of the active ingredients you're looking for heavy metals for pesticides you know that's all got to be kind of checked for and um and you know how it's been stored you know if, if it's very old and it's been stored in a warehouse that's you know in very hot country for example there's not going to be many active ingredients left in that you know whereas something that's been harvested and processed correctly you know and, and used um you know depending on obviously the herb but something with volatile oils in you know they're going to degrade quite quickly so that, that there's lots of things at the moment i think that I, I totally agree with you i don't think people understand the complexity and maybe quite what they're buying so so similarly for as a strategy um to what we just talked about with adaptogens you know you want to make sure that you're personalizing your adaptogen choice, uh, let's say, you know, on top of everything else that you're going to be correcting or trying to optimize within your lifestyle, whatever is causing stress or inflammation in your body. Um, in terms of choosing the right product, what what are some key things or key metrics to look out for for an individual who's finding themselves in a health food store, uh, you know, with the abundance of labels and claims on on the shelf and they're sort of overwhelmed as to what type of boswellia or turmeric uh, or devil's claw to to sort of choose i think that the first, the key thing is to look for the good manufacturing practice so that's the first thing i would recommend people look for so any um reputable company is going to be signed up to the good manufacturing practice it's a voluntary quality assurance scheme but it, it basically means there's traceability there's good manufacturing practice covers everything from the harvesting to the production of the supplements or the herbs so um so that's kind of the basis that we so anything that we use in our clinic that's the basis basic quality assurance that we'd look for so there has to be so good manufacturing practice is just like a little gmp it's a it will be a little stamp on the product um, and you'll often see it if you go on a website you'll see that 
I mean, what I always look for is someone asks me, oh, what's about this supplement, Sally? You know, like, is this any good? And I don't know the company. It's quite easy to look at the on the website and you'll they should have um, traceability information on there. Like, how do they test? It, are each batch tested? Do they have they signed up for good manufacturing practice? Do they know where their herbs are coming from? You know, that all should be on the website. It's usually it's quite easy to see a reputable company because they're they're testing their they've got traceability, you know, that they're taking that really seriously. They will kind of advertise that, you know, that will be on there. Um and you know, if you're looking for ethically sourced, then there's the fair world certification, which means that you know that, that they're not being that they're being harvested sustainably so you can look for those and then um within our clinic as well we kind of audit our supplements and we there's also some further quality assurances there's an emerson there's an american um quality assurance um sort of stamp that has further like there's a bronze silver gold for that with the gold ones being that every um every batch is tested every single supplement that comes out of that factory is tested for quality so you know there's the, that that's kind of the top and, and they're obviously the more expensive ones but you know if, if i'm looking particularly if i've got someone who's very ill you know with serious chronic health conditions um or is very allergic you know to things and very sensitive then you know we're using those kind of very high grade ones where you know that there's nothing mixed in that there's very good um levels of everything let's dive into some some of these herbs that i i have no experience sort of prescribing or yeah i haven't, I haven't done any research around them really and i thought this would be a good opportunity to learn a bit more so uh boswellia serrata uh why don't we start with that i i've been the reason why i'm asking this is because i've been asked about it and i i've got no experience sort of prescribing or anything so i what wh- what is it used for and uh and 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 what are the properties yeah so it's an anti-inflammatory i mean it's often used alongside turmeric so i used it for a long time okay. alongside turmeric in uh, arthritis so um it, it's a similar action to turmeric so they both have this action on nf kappa b so reducing the inflammatory cascade in the body and on the um, COX-2 inhibitors. So they've both got, you know, um, in anti-inflammatory properties. And um, it's an oleoresin. So, it, you know, it comes from that, the, the um, resin from, uh, from the plant. Um, and obviously it's used in a lot of traditional uh, medical systems. There also is some interesting research on it. I, I have seen some research on it used in brain tumours, actually, very small studies, but being used oh, for... Wow having positive effects for helping with um, brain tumors as well. So it's sometimes used in cancer care as well for, um, for, for supporting, well, particularly, like I say, in brain tumors or brain mets as well. What, what plant does it come from? Sorry, but well, I'm just trying to visualize it. And I know what turmeric looks like, but... Frankincense. Oh, frankincense. Oh, right. Okay. So is it like an oil or is it like, how is it, how is it delivered? It's a resin. So yeah, it's a resin from the plant. So you see, when you see it, it's like these little lumps of resin, like very, it is very thick and sticky. Um, so it's actually quite hard to extract. So when you extract it into a um, tincture, it's, you know, it's 
it tastes absolutely disgusting. I mean, to be honest, I wouldn't use it in a tincture. <laughs> I have tried and it's really foul. I mean, so it, it's more generally used um, in powder form. In, and, and so that's what how I've used it as a powder mixed in with turmeric um, in capsule form, actually. And so it works on NF-CAFA-B and uh, COX-2, s- similar to how some of our sort of like non steroidal anti-inflammatories uh, work as well. Any other sort of um, effects? I know like turmeric is pretty multifactorial. Like it can, uh, I think it has like um, a similar activity to some of statins that, that I prescribe. Um, it can have a, an effect on free fatty acids, but what, any anything else with Boswellia in particular? So it can in, reduce the inflammatory prostaglandins. I mean, it works in, it, it's similar in, in many ways to the turmeric. Um, I, I don't think there's quite as much research into Boswellia. I mean, turmeric's got huge amounts of research, hasn't it? Whereas Boswellia is not so well researched. Um, so, as far, I mean, it it doesn't have the kind of, hepatic effects that turmeric does or the um trying to I, I don't think there's I don't know of it as being really used for high cholesterol like turmeric or having those kind of it's not as it's not got that kind of wider use that turmeric has it's more targeted I, I really see it as more being an anti-inflammatory more targeted um and then like I say for this for more sort of use in cancer that's kind of where I've seen it used the most really yeah it's certainly not as wide as turmeric in its uses and in terms of like uh inflammation fighting um uh herbs and 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 um and and tinctures and stuff obviously like you know inflammation isn't the enemy and inflammation is a very important process it's part of the immune system it's how we fight infections and stuff so there's a balance to be struck but let's assume that we're dealing with patients who have excess inflammation for whatever um upstream cause What, what 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 else is in sort of like your basket of goods uh when it comes to uh, inflammation balancing um, effects? Yeah, there's loads. I mean, there's actually loads. I think herbs are really quite, you know, they're very useful for inflammation. So you've got you've got sort of like your more systemic ones. I mean, and you've got the really well known ones. Um, I mean, ginger is another one that's had quite a lot of research on. And and then you've got sort of ones which are more specific for different um, systems so like devil's claw one that I use a lot again for arthritis so um, and then I mean you've got uh, there's, there's just I mean you could go, go on forever really there's... What, what what is devil's claw I've heard of this thing again I think I must have seen it uh, in a store and I no idea what, what it's, it sounds aggressive <laughs> <laughs> it does actually but... doesn't it I never thought of that yeah it's not a very nice name actually is it <laughs> no it, it's a South African herb it's it, it's a really interesting it, it, again it's got a lot of research for arthritis um for helping with pain and stiffness there, a lot of herbs work in a similar way you know on the kind of NF-kappa B or COX-2 or they work by helping to reduce those inflammatory cytokines. There's very similar pathways in terms of how most of them are working, but sometimes they have more specific kind of um, actions in particular systems in the body. Um, And devil's claw has that. So it's very targeted towards musculoskeletal system. There's some good trials on it for back pain um, and uh, it's often used in arthritis. 
So it's quite a it, it's it's um, used a lot in South Africa. I mean, which is where it comes from originally. But so um, it's off. It's part of their sort of traditional medical system there. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I get I, I've I used it. Um, I've, when I was seeing a lot more with arthritis patients, I'd often use it alongside, so the turmeric, the boswellia, and the devil's claw together with some ginger. You know, that was kind of a standard capsule that I would use, um, and and then some black. Pepper. Oh, so is it, is it like pre-mixed sort of thing, or just something that you compound yourself? Well, the formulas that I that I had in my dispensary, so you know, I I, I had them. Yeah, that that's how I was using it. But the you could also it's often used in tincture form as well. Devil's claw is. Um, I mean, some of these herbs, and I think just thinking of how you're using them, because that's quite helpful maybe to think about too, is, um, you know, because often there's different ways of using the herbs. You can think of the teasans and the teas and the tinctures and then using capsules. And that's dependent on the constituents you're trying to extract maybe or sometimes the taste as well because I know you know like devil's core doesn't taste very nice as well so you know there's certain herbs that you would not want to put in a tea for example because they're really horrible um and um and then certain herbs that would be uh, like marshmallow which is probably one of my favorite herbs is um extracted best in water so that's you know, you're best to use that actually overnight infusion where you soak the roots overnight in water. And then, you know, that's the best extraction for the marshmallow root. So it's, you know, there, there, there are variants in how you can extract the different constituents and that will have an impact on how effective they are used in the body as well. So, um, yeah, so, I mean... Uh, and the, and the taste, like I say, you know, because some of these ones we're talking about, like the boswellia and the devil's court is disgusting. So, you know, I, I think if someone was going to make a tea, I definitely would not do that with those. <laughs> how, how do you determine, like, uh, the dose for the, the individual? Because this is one of my uh, sort of bugbears with um, the sort of uh, nootropic and adaptogenic trend of just like putting it in like you know your chocolate and all this kind of stuff like it's sort of similar to do you remember Benico? i don't know if Benico is still around um but it, it you know it was a, a phytosterol based uh margarine and they were like oh if you you put this on your on your bread every single day it reduce your cholesterol and i was just thinking well it, it's sort of like an inefficient way to get the correct dose of the active ingredients of that particular food, if you're trying to lower your cholesterol, you'd rather just like have a, a really good diet. And then if you need to take uh, lipid lowering therapy, you just take that on, on top. That's the way I, I think about things. And so if I'm having a chocolate bar with a bit of ashwagandha in, I'd rather just have normal chocolate and then take a, a specific dose of the ingredient uh the, the herb in you know my, my daily routine and so so how do how do you think about sort of dosing and, and again is that personalized to the individual or are they sort of set standard doses for for, for this sort of um uh the, the, this sort of practice yeah i mean i totally agree i think it's gimmicky i'm afraid you know i just think like are you really getting any benefit from that i don't know like um so sometimes they are aren't they i think they're just kind of like put on the label to make but it's kind of 
marketing isn't it you know you look at the ingredient maybe there's not actually very much in there so um so i mean with dosing and and there's there's different traditions with dosing so looking at different sort of um if you're looking say in traditional chinese medicine with herbs they tend to go quite high dosing so you'll see often very high doses that they'll use of herbs there um and then you'll see in different traditions different dosage so there is a spectrum like and you'll see herbalists trained in different traditions will use different doses so and for example when i was training sometime you know some of the lectures we had would be using like drop doses you know they're using very tiny almost homeopathic or, or very small dosing and then like i say you'd kind of go up to a um some of the chinese uh, when you're reading you know the kind of formulas for the chinese medicine they're very high dosing um and and i and i i don't know whether it's interesting to think like have these differences developed because of the genetics of the kind of d- cohorts of people they were treating you know i mean i don't know whether in different cultures people have different you know d- genetics and that might influence the dosing strategies I, I i don't know it's quite interesting because there's quite a bit of disparity between different traditions on how, how much you do use but um and the west and in the west here in the uk we're quite um, a hybrid you know like we've got influences from many different traditions so you'll see that we have got influences from these kind of traditional european systems we've got some um, influences from ayurveda there's often tcm influences and then you kind of looking there's often influences from America, like there's the physiomedicalist herbalism, which was in America. You've got the, there was quite a big um, move of um, knowledge over from Native American Indians with, you know, when the wagon trains went over and then a lot of that knowledge came back to the UK as well. So we've got some, like some of our herbs are traditional Native American herbs, like Echinacea is a Native American Indian herb that was used there and that came into this country so we're a little bit of a melting pot with influences and you kind of often see that in the dosing as well and in the way that the formulas are produced so you know you might see um, people using a simple which is like one herb on its own you might see more complex formulas and then you know going into kind of a traditional Chinese medicine system they use a lot of herbs together in quite complex formulas so you're maybe getting smaller amounts of individual herbs but you'll have a synergistic effect with them so i mean that's quite an interesting way to practice is because very much in the tri- in the chinese um system you will use like they'll have a way of writing a prescription where you have like a leading herb which is your more active one and then you have secondary herbs and then you'll have like a harmonizing herb which um it, it kind of enhances the effect of all of it so and so you might be using three secondary herbs with similar actions but they're slightly but they work synergistically so there's actually quite a lot of science behind how you combine them the way that you use the dosing you know whether you use small amounts of synergistic herbs or whether you kind of go mega dosing with one herb so um and i've kind of my original training was in the western herbal approach which is quite simple so you kind of you know we were trained like you know you should just have five herbs in a prescription and they need to be quite high dosing and it's sort of simple and then I did um I did quite a lot of training in TCM and I kind of ended up like 
with some sort of hybrid way of prescribing, which I use. I, I love the TCM system and the way that, you know, that they kind of use uh, di the diagnosis that you do in TCM. And so I, I actually do use a kind of more TCM approach often with my herbal prescribing. So I'll often use this way of doing synergistic herbs at smaller doses. So you can, you know, there, there's different ways of doing it. So I think if you're looking at, you know, just using one herb on its own, it's good to look at the research about, you know, I mean, for example, turmeric, you know, there's good research with different dosing strategies. So, you know, there's some some of the studies in osteoarthritis on turmeric, you know, the average that's used there is about 850 milligrams a day. And that's for like curcumin extract. So, you know, you've kind of got uh, there's you know, research for that. If you're using it in ulcerative colitis, then you generally need a higher dose. So there's the studies show like 2,500 milligrams a day to be effective. So you can kind of look at studies and see, you know, in certain conditions, you know, if you're looking at it as a simple, it kind of depends on what you're using it for. Um, and then when you're using them in combinations and formulas, you generally you're driven more by the traditions of like I say, how it kind of fits together in a formula. Yeah, I was just going to say that's a really interesting insight into in into the differences in practices. I mean, like we're we're pretty sort of algorithm uh, focused. So you know, if I'm going to be starting someone on lipid lowering therapy, let's say uh, for for, uh, for the listeners, you know, uh, high cholesterol, um, or you know, someone with gastritis, we're going to start at a minimal dose of the first recommended um, uh, medication and and then titrate upwards as needed or, you know, change if there is any side effects and then go to second uh, generation, third generation, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas it, it seems with medical herbalism and perhaps other sort of um, practices, there's a, a bit of a hybrid approach and sort of like test and feel as you go along. Is, is, that, is that fair to say? Yeah, I think there's known sort of safety parameters of, you know, like, okay, these are the, and there is the kind of, you know, when you're training, you're looking at, okay, these are the, there's parameters. It's not just like there's no kind of guidelines, you know, you do. But I think that, uh, I mean, it's certainly from my experience, what I've, what I know is that people respond in different ways. So I'm very much looking at, um, so when you're kind of treating holistically, you might be looking at, okay, this person is quite sensitive. So, you know, that they've had a lot of reactions, for example, in the past to medications or food. I'm going to go with a smaller dose. So, you know, for somebody with that sort of history, I'll be thinking, well, actually, I'm probably going to go with um, maybe half of a sort of standard dose. Whereas somebody maybe who has got really severe symptoms, but is quite robust, you know, they've never had any problems with sensitivities in the past I'm just going to go with obviously a higher dose so you know you have parameters for each herb where there's recommendations of like grams per day or mils per day for the tinctures um and then you're kind of working within that which I'm sure is kind of what everybody's doing in practice isn't it you know you kind of if you've got somebody in front of you who you know is like super reactive and has got a long list of had side effects to lots of things you you'll go in with a smaller dose but there are you know there for each herb there are sort of standard doses for kind of how they've been used traditionally yeah i'd, I'd, I'd love to w sort of workshop some uh, random examples of of how uh medical herbalism could could work alongside conventional so let's say we have like a typical patient that doesn't have any other 
um, uh, medical comorbidities and they've got gastritis. Let's just assume that it, they've had an endoscopy and everything's normal. They don't have like a Barrett's esophagus, they don't have an ulcer, they don't have anything to suggest anything more severe, but they are requiring, uh, no, let's say uh, 10 to 20 milligrams of omeprazole, um, uh, a PPI, uh, as and when. Um, or, or they use it regularly, let's say, otherwise they get symptoms. And let's say we've optimized all their lifestyle stuff. You know, we've stopped them having too many fried foods. We've stopped them having like high sugar. We've tried to maintain an eating window. We're not getting them to, we're getting them not to eat too late, et cetera, et cetera. Um, uh, you know, as a conventional medic, my only tools are sort of those medications. And I just mess around with the doses. I go up and down. I might change one. I might add something else. But I'm kind of limited to to that, and and I wonder how you might approach that patient who you know they've seen me as the GP. The GP is not doing anything. Uh, I need I need some relief. Like what, what? How would you approach that? Yeah, so that's quite common. I do see lots of people with that. Yeah, <laughs> I thought so. That's what I thought it would yeah. work. <laughs> I do do that. Is a really good example. Um, so I probably start with something simple like Cipriel. So that's why my my go to easy starts somebody on so cyprium's really nice very it's high in polysaccharides it just coats the gut it's very healing so uh, that's uh, i would often go cyprium and marshmallow root so both of those are high in these polysaccharides they're very healing and they kind of um reduce irritation and inflammation um and they have some prebiotic effects as well like the cyprium so it's it, they're really nice for just settling the gut so I, they're kind of simple things the cyprium you can use it as a powder so i'd often get people to um either make it into a drink or you can mix it up um with um a, a type of milk you know non-dairy milk or um and then the marshmallow root you soak so it's the root you soak it overnight and then you just drink it. and you can kind of drink it PRN, you know, as much as you like through the day, really. So it's, uh, and it's just, again, it's very soothing. So they're probably like the easy things I would just go to. And then I'd often. And what, what, oh, sorry, part, part of my ignorance. What, what is slippery elm? <laughs> I, I've definitely heard of it, but I, I don't know where it comes from or what, what it is. It's a bark of a tree from slippery Um almost fulva and it, it it's when you um when you it's a powder well it, you know, it's a bark that's then powdered and when you add water to it it goes very gloopy it's got lots of polysaccharides and mucilagin which means it's a little bit like if you mix water with it, it goes into like a wallpaper paste it's like really gloopy um and very soothing so it, it it's a really old traditional it's used for stomach ache you know it, it's a very long is a long history of use and it, it's um it actually it was also often used for children um who couldn't take breast milk I think it was made into like a gruel it, it's very sort of nourishing so it was used as a food for babies as well it's um so it's got lots of nutrients in but the main thing is it's like very coating and um soothing so it's good for any kind of irritation. Like so, I use it upper, di- you know, upper digestion. So heartburn, ingestion, reflux, um, but also kind of lower down. You can use it for, uh, you know, sort of uh, IBS or even in IBD. You know, it's very just it's soothing to the whole gut, really. So, um, 
So yeah, that, that it, it's very simple to use. It, the only thing you have to be a little bit careful with slip yarn because you're kind of coating everything. You have to use it in between meals or between medication because it can stop the absorption um, of other things because it's just kind of coating and um, um, it's a bit of a barrier effect really. So um, yeah, so it's a very simple, nice one to use first. And then I might add, often I might add in like a DGL licorice, which I don't know if you've heard of that or. No. And what's DGL? <laughs> so, so the licorice is another uh, herb with, it's anti-inflammatory. So it works on the, again, that kind of NF-kappa B inhib inhibition and, um, and it's, it's very, again, very soothing and healing, good for the digestion um, but you have to be a little bit careful with licorice because of the glycorrhizin in it so if you take glycorrhizin or licorice in excess doses um, it can cause uh, increase in blood pressure so that is one herb you have to be careful with in terms of overusing particularly somebody with high blood pressure so the DGL licorice is a deglycorized licorice so it's like you take out that glycorrhizin and and that's really nice um you can get it in capsules you can get it in chewable tablets and it's really good for people with gastritis or heartburn you know because they just chew, they often chew it before they go to bed and it's really great uh for you can have it in your bag and you just if you get any heartburn you just chew on it and it and it's really effective for um reducing acid and heartburn and reflux symptoms and and it's healing you know it's really helpful for helping it to heal up as well yeah yeah that that's great i, I want to workshop another one sorry if i if i don't mind because this is great <laughs> this is it. really i think this is really <laughs> useful for other people to think about you know how they could potentially uh, utilize these strategies in their lifestyle as well so another common one is um high cholesterol so let's say we have uh, a, a, a man or a woman, uh, let's say in their 50s, uh, they've got persistently raised cholesterol, they've already been seen by the lipid clinic, they, there isn't a sort of uh, familial hypercholesterolemia, uh, but there are risk of uh, cardiovascular disease, no matter what dose, or let's say they are on high doses, or they've been on high doses of statins and fibrates before, they don't tolerate the really high doses. They can just about tolerate a low dose of statin, but their cholesterol is still outside of the range that we want it to be. Let's say it's above 6.5 or let's say 7. Um, we, we're optimizing everything else in their diet. So they're on a low sugar diet. They do not have a high amount of saturates um, coming from uh, meat products uh, in in their diet. They they basically optimize their exercise. So we're trying to you know push up their HDLs. What what would you recommend to to this mythical patient here? Because this is this is another common one that I reckon a lot of GPs would struggle with as well. Yeah, it's true, and I probably don't see that so often that I used to. But I mean, in the past, what I have I have had success in terms of usually what I've done is. The combination of so in, in herbal medicine you're looking at uh, often supporting the liver so you'll often use things like um, the bitter herbs which can help with so the bitter herbs stimulate digestion and increase bile production and so help with kind of nutrient absorption and um, 
break down really kind of helping to to break down and emulsify fats for example so you you'd often use the bitter herbs so you might think like dandelion root or you could use artichoke there's some small studies about artichoke with it um i mean the the research for uh, i've tried different approaches actually for cholesterol so i i actually the last um the last patient I had, I, I've actually gone like a TCM kind of approach, which is where you do quite a special art, you know, you're kind of looking at the patterns in the body. And, and if you look at TCM, you'll see this pattern of like um, phlegm, <laughs> which is, you know, kind of makes sense. If you think of cholesterol, I guess, you know, in terms of damp, they talk about dampness again. So, you know, I've kind of gone with a bit of a TCM approach, which has been successful. That's kind of a lot of different Chinese herbs that I've used. But in terms of um, simple things, then, you know, you've got like turmeric. There's obviously there's some studies on turmeric um, working in a similar way to statins, you know. Um, so, you know, that would be a simple thing to put in. And that, you know, that would be a def and that's going to probably help with insulin sensitivity as well, which might be linked. So, you know, that that could be helpful um or I'd go bitters so I'd go I'd just go with like the dandelion root um and those kind of simple bitters that that that's kind of what I've done in the past until I've started having a go with the more kind of complicated TCM approach but that's very personalized because you're kind of looking at the patterns of a lot of different things so I think if you want simple I'd just go with the turmeric there's some evidence for Comifora um, molmonk or Google, which you know, uh, which is um, Ayurvedic herb. That there's evidence, some evidence for that for using cholesterol. Which I've experimented a little bit with that, and I have put that in formulas as well. In um, again, like with the bitters and the turmeric and the uh, and I've had some some success with that, but it wasn't um, kind of consistent. I would say. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? With with um, sort of the more personalized approach, it's harder to sort of just give general advice, but I'll like, oh, just do this and, you know, we'll, we'll whack your cholesterol down. And I, and I think there's the expectation, I think partly because of the way we've presented uh, Western medicine from the patient, that that's how it should be. And I think what we're seeing offered in sort of, you know, online stores and, and sort of wellness pharmacies is the similar is the similar model that patients have been sort of taught to expect and i i think that's wrong and i think you know the more personalized traditional chinese medicine tcm measures and ayurvedic measures i think are, are probably going to be a lot more popular or should be at least anyway because you know it's it's not a one size fits all like you've like you've eloquently just explained yeah i mean it's just it is more effective you know like if you personalize I mean, what we're doing in the clinic now, which I find really interesting now, we're also doing like the nutrigenomics testing and things as well. So some of our nutritionists are really, uh, you know, kind of trained with life code. And, I, and I've been doing a bit of that. And that's just fascinating. You start looking at the SNPs and, you know, these all these variations that we all have. And you think like, well, no wonder we all react differently. You know, we're actually genetically, there's these differences. And, you know, and also when you start looking at gut microbiome and, all these pathways you know we're so we're all just there's no wonder that we react in different ways to things yeah it's going to look pretty archaic i think in the next 10 15 years we look back at how we would prescribe sort of one size fits all medications within medicine you know just me giving a statin to 
whoever comes in the door without really knowing what their single nucleotide polymorphisms are, their, their sort of genetic variability. Like it's going to be like, what? I can't believe we were doing that uh, just 10 years ago. Um, on on the subject of um, limitations, I think, with, with herbal medicine, I think there that, you know, I, I don't want to give the impression that, oh, you can just take these these herbs and you'll be fine. What What kind of key things do you always want to make sure um, whenever you're prescribing uh, medical herbs that, you know, patients aren't on in terms of other medications and also other sort of considerations with other condition states. Yeah, yeah. So that's really important to think about that. So obviously there's some herbs that have more contraindications than others. So St. John's Wort's a big one, you know. So obviously if you're thinking that you want to prescribe that, you're going to have to look at if they are in any medication. So there's quite a lot of interactions um so you're gonna have to think about you know some herbs we know act on the cyp450 liver enzyme system so that's the kind of big one because that's going to potentially interact with how some pharmaceutical drugs are broken down so you know the st john's was a big one you have to be careful with that with like the oral contraceptive pill that's a big one that i don't know if people are always aware of because it can make the pill not so effective so i think one way to make you more depressed and potentially find out you're pregnant when you didn't mean to be you know I always think oh god you know I definitely don't want to do that if someone you know is struggling already with low mood now they have an unwanted pregnancy as well um so you know that's a big one and the immunosuppressant drugs and warfarin digoxin so obviously like St John's Wort you have to be careful with those and um immunosuppressant drugs and then there are some herbs which can have um, blood thinning effects so for example ginkgo um, high doses of garlic turmeric um, um, Chinese angelica you know you might need to I would always tell people to stop them like a week before surgery or obviously also contraindicated with anybody on kind of blood um, thinners so there's some herbs that have that not so you mean like turmeric I wouldn't in just food state but if they're on a high dose you know you might need to be careful with um blood so um blood thinners like I say or surgery or dental you know if they're having extensive dental treatment for example so uh, licorice you have to be careful with high blood pressure if particularly if they're having high doses of that and then you know and then there's uh, you know there are they're the big ones that you know you kind of need to be careful with I mean in terms of herb drug interactions there are some if you start looking at the literature you know you can see theoretical concerns which come from maybe in vitro studies very high doses in vitro studies and then you can and and then there's a whole kind of spectrum of okay we go from theoretical concern with in vitro isolated constituents to actually case studies of um documented um you know with St John's work for example you know there's um the, the, the kind of documented cases of re- reported problems so you've got a spectrum and normally you know if you're looking at prescribing them you're kind of uh, obviously avoiding all the contraindicated ones for anything in the middle you might be just monitoring closely or you might just be giving a lower dose you know you kind of got there's a bit of an in-between sometimes with just monitoring more closely or making that call of kind of risk benefit analysis really that you're doing in the middle there um so you know so generally I'd say herbs are very well tolerated so you kind of as long as you know these main 
um, areas to be careful with. The other big things in terms of obviously is people on chemotherapy, which is obviously very, you know, you have to be very careful with that um, or an immunosuppressant medication, um, anywhere where, you know, that it, it, warfarin, digoxin, where there's a narrow therapeutic index, you know, all of those type of medications have to be very, obviously that 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 is a whole area you have to be very careful with. And then in terms of, you know, patients, you're, you're um, obviously anybody with um, sort of liver, kidney issues where it might reduce the excretion or blood coagulation problems, you know, it's kind of severe allergies. You've obviously got to be looking for all those more serious problems that are going to affect maybe how your body's metabolizing the herbs for example or excreting them or you know obviously they're pregnant or elderly maybe reduce kidney function for example with elderly patients so kind of all those kind of normal kind of contraindications that you would be looking for and um uh i i think the probably the main things in practice are you know just being aware of the main herb drug interactions um and I, I think you know I mean I've been using herbs for like nearly 18 years now and like touchwood I've never really seen you know I, I haven't in practice ever, ever seen any serious adverse effects and you know and I see patients who are on medication all the time so as I think as long as you're using them safely um you know I, like I say touchwood I've never I haven't seen any problem so I think it's quite possible to use them safely you just have obviously have to be careful with how you're doing it and you know looking for the um you know the red flags and just being aware of when you, sh you should be using how to use them safely basically yeah yeah definitely I mean for, for anyone listening to this and we're interested in like uh sort of a layperson's guide to medical herbs are there resources or books that you point people towards so you know if they do have uh you know persistent utis or they have menopausal symptoms or they have other digestive complaints they can sort of get some sort of guide as to okay what herbs might be appropriate for them before they entertain maybe you know booking an appointment and having more regular sort of follow-ups I mean, there are some, there's some lovely books. The first book that I ever was given and was my Bible for a long time was the Andrew Chevalier book, the Encyclopedia of Herbal Medicine. And um, that's, uh, I mean, Andrew Chevalier was a, uh, was a president of the, of, of the National Institute of Medical Herbalists for a long time. And is really, you know, he, he he's a very well known herbalist and his books are really it is an encyclopedia you know that was the one that I kind of started with um and um uh, so I think that's probably a really good one to to use the other person that I use a lot when I was initially starting for for women particularly for women's health for children and pregnancy is Aviva Rom so she's produced quite a lot of different books she's absolutely fantastic she's American she's actually a herbalist a midwife and a doctor as well and she is um so she, and, and she her books are fun she's prolifically writing books um but they're really grounded very very easy to use with lots of with actually doses in and how to use everything and I mean she's an amazing resource so um for, for like I say for any women's health problems she's written books for for, for um, how to use herbs in children for children and in pregnancy as well so her books are very very helpful um 
and then um, there was another, um, i trying to remember the name, uh, Hoff, I think it's David Hoffman, which is the other book that we kind of started with when I was starting, which is another sort of nice um, general introduction and basic recipes and like how to treat simple things. You know, that, that was another good one that I used when I was first starting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, um, I'm definitely going to look into those for sure. And, and it, like I want to bring this to a close because I feel I feel like I'm just peppering you with questions about I should really just do a BSc in medical herbalism myself rather than badger well, you no, about I, everything I to do I with it. But yeah, like are there sort of um, basic sort of collections of medical herbs in small doses that you would say, okay, this is like a, a nice sort of foundational level to just maintain? I mean, like, you know, I'm, relatively healthy person eat very well obviously you know don't have too much stress in my life is there sort of like the equivalent of a multivitamin even though i don't actually recommend multivitamins but but you you know the point the point i'm trying to make is like you know foundational support in terms of like collections of medical herbs that you think people most people would benefit from yeah i mean um i i i've struggled to kind of give generic advice I guess for that because I think it is different for everybody I guess some of the more nutritive ones you know so like nettles maybe you know that would be something that could be helpful so the other what's might be interesting for you to, to look at as well is in Ayurvedic medicine you have these kind of um uh tonics which are used for longevity and and I quite like the idea of these so there's things like got cola you know which I guess if I was kind of thinking yeah. about anything, I'd probably just go with something like that. Maybe just got a coat, you know, got a cola because it's going to be good for kind of brain function. And it has that tradition used for kind of longevity. So I think that's kind of what I'd be going for the Ayurvedic, these longevity tonics. Because I, I just feel like that's kind of what we all want, really, isn't it? So, you know, they're, they're the ones to go for. <laughs> um, <laughs> and in terms of like teas um is that like a nice sort of gentle way into have some medical herbs in your life is that because they're not particularly high dose I'm, I'm assuming and you know it'd be very hard to have significant side effects from them yeah exactly and that's kind of what I've tried to do with the teas that I've done you know is do nice formulas for everyday people to use every days really every day so um yeah absolutely I think teas are a great way in so you know I, 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 and um that's again like I've used Tulsi in quite a few of the teas that I've created and for that very reason because I think that's another one of those kind of nice gentle adaptogenic longevity herbs and it's nice for sort of reducing anxiety and for brain function so it's a you know that that's another nice one to take as a tea I, I'd say you know mostly with herbs and I think with food it's the same advice in terms of diversity I'm quite into like you know having little bits of different things you know if you think about the gut microbiome and how you know now the advice that I'm always giving people is diversity and having a rainbow diet and having all those different phytonutrients and it's the range of all of them which is important and I think it's the same with the herbs as well to an extent you know if you're kind of having little bits of lots of these herbs you know as long as you're not trying to treat something if you're looking for just a general overall health support having diversity is helpful you know so maybe using the spices and ginger I mean I, I love doing ginger you know just as like a decoction so taking a fresh ginger root chopping that up 
and then like simmering it for 15 minutes and having that um as a drink you know so you, that's a nice thing that you yeah. can do um and so you know there's these simple things that but having a bit of diversity, I, I think if you're going to do something every single day, uh, unless you've got a health problem, you're trying to address it. That's probably not it's not as beneficial as having diversity with what you're having, um, because lots of these herbs have different effects in the body. And some of them, I mean, I was looking at some research where, for example, licorice can help change the, you know, the gut microbiome. So it helps to increase improve lactobacillus and bifidobacteria and and I think it's the same you know lots of these flavonoids in the herbs there's herbs have you know most herbs have some types of flavonoids in they've got all these lovely antioxidant effects you know actually it's the same advice in terms of like a rainbow diet you know you have lots of these different types of flavonoids you're going to get all these different diverse antioxidant benefits and you know and, and the herbs that help with the gut microbiome are going to be helpful for again that kind of diversity of of creating a kind of robust um biome as well you know so it's the same kind of advice i think yeah yeah well sally this has been super educational for me Uh, i've loved the workshopping as well um and uh yeah i'll I'll dive into more of your teas as well i think they're they're really good because um i like i said at the start I, i i like i infuse them and i'll put them into bottles and i just keep them in in my fridge because you, you know, when you want something a little bit more flavorful than just uh, plain water, and I, I love water, but like a little bit, you know, you want something a bit more exciting than plain water. They're, they're lovely to have. And I, I, th- I honestly think there's like a niche in flavored water with herbs and certain um, spices and even like, you know, got cola and that kind of stuff uh, that hasn't really been tapped into. Um, so I'd, I'd love to see that. Maybe I should be doing that then. Out there. <laughs> Maybe you should be doing that. That's my new strategy. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Awesome. No, thank you. That was great. That was fab. Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast with Dr. Sally Moorcroft. You can find resources on medical herbalism on thedoctorskitchen.com. And whilst you're there, you may as well sign up to my newsletter, Eat, Listen, Read. Every week I send you something to eat, something to listen to, something to read. And you can subscribe on YouTube and you can check out the app as well. We have uh, almost 500 recipes there, each with step-by-step images. You can filter them according to health goals and we're adding new features in the new year too. I will see you here next time. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 